podcast where we discuss the two greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the sad state of failure from our mouths. <laughs> That's good. My name is Joe Hilliard. I'm here every week along with Dave Gurney. And today's guest uh, is a good old friend of mine. I've known this guy since first grade. His name is Sean McLean. Welcome back, Sean. Thanks for having me again. You're welcome. You said, hey, I want to be on one of those all horror things. Well, welcome to the experimental horror episode, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> Thanks. My favorite genre. Uh, exactly. Before we talk about our movies and our beer, All Horror October happens to coincide with the release of Killers of the Flower Moon, a That's movie right. that you and I were not going to wait to go, you know, wait to talk about. So starting today on Patreon for a while, you can go hear our review of Killers of the Flower Moon. It is at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. We just also posted what we'll be doing in a couple of weeks, asking our Patreon members to help us pick the movie that goes along with it. So a lot of fun in the works over there at Patreon. Please go check it out. Yeah. Okay. I picked this up at the local grocery store. It's our fifth time, David, to go to Tups. Tups beer out of the state of Texas. This is their Day of the Dead, Juicy Pale Ale. You know, down here in Corpus Christi, Texas, where we live, David, there is a Dia de los Muertos festival. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the biggest ones in the country. I love going there every year. It's really close to Halloween, so you get this kind of like one-two punch of Halloween costumes right into the Day of the Dead, which is, of course, a Mexican observation of the way that they send off and honor those that have passed. Right. So the can art on here is exactly those like sugar, sugar skull makeup that you see all over the Day of the Dead. It's a juicy pale ale, 5.5, a juicy pale ale. I guess a pale ale that they're, I don't see a lot of other information on the can of what's making it juicy, but I can't wait to crack it open and get some in my glass. I always like going to Tufts. By the way, I did find McKinney, Texas. McKinney, Texas, yes. up near Dallas. Ah, okay. That is pouring nice and hazy, Joe. And not see through this thing. Oh, but some great Did hops on the nose for a uh, pale ale, not an IPA, where they're right. going to really cram the hops in. But sometimes these pale ales get very, very close. They do. Now, Sean, I don't think you were able to get your hands on this Tups beer. So are you enjoying something over there? I have uh, Fullbrook Ale Works, which is out of Richmond, Texas. Mm -hmm. We've had them. Uh, it was a case of the can art got my attention the beer is called all right all right all right I see and it. it has a cartoon depiction <laughs> of matthew mcconaughey as Wooderson. has nothing to do with the theme just caught my eye as the other one wasn't available and i grabbed it it's uh right. the style is it's a cream ale 5.4 i don't know that i know the cream ale style that well to know if it's a uh good representative of it. I'm trying to think of other cream ales I've had in the past. The only one that comes to mind is, was it Genesee cream ale yeah. from <laughs> back in the day? Um, I think they take an ale and they pour some cream in it, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that's mistaken. that's what it looks oh, that's like. That's not what it is? It's very milky. This is what I go, David, what's a cream ale? <laughs> <laughs> a cream ale is a style of American beer, which is light in color and well attenuated, meaning drier. First crafted in the mid-1800s at various breweries in the United States, cream ale remained a very localized form. 
uh, with different styles until the early 20th century. No that's amazing people. that you just had that information ready to go like that in your head. And that's from Wikipedia. Oh, gone. but it, it's related to a pale lager. I like where we're riding this zone that we're in yeah. uh, because we're going to some pretty, I don't know, trepidatious territory. I mean, a, as you alluded to already, Sean wanting to jump on All Horror October. I was excited to hear it. I, I always love talking movies with Sean. Uh, it, it was fun to talk Indiana Jones with him just uh few episodes back Not there ago. but i do feel like you really threw the gauntlet down getting him involved with this one because when we were programming all horror october it intrigues me that this idea of the experimental horror came up because it is kind of this subgenre, yeah. as you put it within horror within the realm of horror but one that i think a lot of people who identify themselves as horror fans in general will either have trouble with or maybe even dispute whether or not some of these films belong in the horror realm. And we can maybe talk about that in a general way, if not during this actual primary episode, during After Hours later. But the first film we're going to look at is a film that hit theaters earlier this year. It actually did premiere a little bit at Film Fest in 2022, mm-hmm. but got a bit of a, a limited theatrical release in the early part of 2023 that I got excited about because I, I went out to the theater to see it. I saw yeah. that our local Alamo Draft House was uh, screening it, uh, as was the Cinemark location. So it was available on some screens here. I thought, okay, I'll go check this thing out. And it really was a singular kind of film experience for you me said that. at a multiplex. You said that. Off, off mic, I don't think we ever talked about this, but you were like, that can't be duplicated at home. Yeah. <laughs> that needs the theater and it's going to be here for one more day or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Joe, yeah. go see this. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to yeah. see it. I saw it uh, here this week on right. you know my TV. Right. It is available now uh, pretty widely. It's on Hulu, actually. That, uh, that's how I rewatched mm-hmm. it uh, before this episode. So it should be pretty easily accessible for a lot of our listeners if you didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. It also has kind of a, a history of being circulated online in illicit forms even before it was which right. sort of added to this aura of mystery around the project and, yeah and read an article about that yeah. it hit those film festivals as you said and some of those film festivals there in 2022 had still adopted that you know kind of COVID born you're going to be able to stream the movies in unison with other watchers and one of the film festivals i guess didn't click a box and it became downloadable right and began of the pirate thing and really took a life on i think tiktok more than anything else of have you seen skin of marink i survived skin of marink to give a premise for this film is good it, luck it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it feels rather hard, but what you are seeing uh, is a, a lot of imagery from the interior of a home uh, late in the night with limited lighting mm-hmm. and lots of different scenarios that sort of evoke being a child awake at night, not sure of whether parents are there or not. Things seem to appear and disappear at times. Objects appear in places that they don't seem to belong, notably on the ceiling at times. Mm -hmm. There are bits of dialogue interspersed throughout, though a varying audibility, where you can hear some things clear enough that you would be able to make them out without subtitles. But then there are definitely times where you're hearing what you can detect as a human voice, and they are showing you on the screen words that are what that voice is saying, but you really have to take it on faith that, okay, that's that's what that voice is saying. There's no way I could make that out otherwise. The the basic scenario that you're seeing unfold is that there seem to be a couple children, a girl and a boy, Kevin and Kaylee. 
the boy seems to be in some distress right. fairly early on. Maybe he's taken a fall. The parents seem somewhat concerned, although it's never quite fully put together. We do hear some people leaving at some point, so maybe they've taken the boy somewhere to get some care and attention. Regardless, the boy ends up back in the house. There's moments where the girl is trying to get the mother, get her attention. Right. Um, the mother disappears. Shortly thereafter, we end up hearing another sort of mysterious voice that's calling to the children at various times, pulling them uh, out upstairs. of places. Yeah, upstairs. Kaylee goes missing at a certain point, and Kevin is left to to sort of deal with his deal with his situation sure. on his own. He does try to call for help. Yeah, he, we we hear him talking to a dispatch operator, you know, calling nine one one or something, and trying to get some help. He he tells them that he put something. He stabbed himself essentially. Um, does not clarify whether or not he's ble bleeding. I'm giving you know all these sure. little details, but you know this is all you're presenting together. that this is a narrative story as best you can with the little bit that we do right. see. Right, and I and I don't think he's. I don't think that's the aim of the film necessarily, but this is about as close as you can come to sort of piecing together what things you might be able to say happened over the course of this film. Right. And I'll, I'll expand when, when we get into talking about the film, why this film works for me. Cause I'll, I'll say, I told you to go yeah. see it, right? I, it did work for me and it does work for me, but it is not at all on any level, a traditional narrative. It's not trying to tell a story that's straightforward or understandable. And it is really reveling in the realm of mystery where it's trying to give you just little breadcrumbs to get you kind of, ooh, what's going on, I think, and then withdraw that from you and just kind of leave you in that grayness of what what is actually happening here. Right. I saw it in the theaters also when it, uh, that brief period that was out, I went to a late showing of it and I was out at a, with a group of friends before it and had to explain where I was going at 11 o'clock at night. They're like, what's it called? Skinamarink? What's it about? I don't know. There's a scary, creepy looking toy telephone on the artwork, but mm -hmm. I don't know what else <laughs> there is to know. <laughs> it's an experimental horror film. There's maybe 20 people in there. Fully half of them walked out before it was over, Interesting. which I was kind of surprised to see. I assume they, they weren't enjoying it. I don't, I don't know if maybe they found it too... I mean, there's a lot of people that find it very frightening. And I think I alluded to this in the past. I think there's a certain thing that happens with horror films. No matter how they're constructed, they either work for you or they don't as a as a horror experience, as a as being in a, a putting you in a situation where you feel scared. I understand what the movie was doing and I appreciated it, but it didn't it, it didn't give me a feeling of dread or unease the way I, I feel like it was, you know, it was aiming to that it did for some people. I think it's sort of, it either, it either hits your button or it doesn't. Right. I think of an example, probably I'm sure it falls under uh, the experimental horror category is obviously be compared to something like Blair Witch, where the final scene, well, there's a lot in that that really triggered me or affected me. I've uh, been camping hear creepy things at night the ending shot is really, really disturbing in that movie. I didn't find this the first time I saw it that affecting. So I did rewatch it for the podcast. And two things. One, I did watch on Hulu. And uh, I put on closed captioning with it just to see if there's anything. Because it does describe some of the things going on. Mm -hmm. 
in addition to the closed captioning that are built into the movie, if that makes sense. There are some things they right. want you to know what's being said and others you don't. And sometimes it describes, there's cases where I don't know, I thought maybe it was the mom screaming, but it, it attributes it to Kaylee yeah. uh, or it'll refer to the entity that sometimes sounds like one of the other parents, you know, so it does kind of clarify things. I, I feel like the narrative became much more clear in the second viewing. And that's not an uncommon thing for me because a lot of times when I see a movie, I am trying to figure out what, what is the deal here? What is, what are we trying to figure out? What's the mystery that needs to be solved? Uh, what's this about? Uh, the second time, you're not trying to figure the movie out. You're experiencing it a little bit right. more. And point. one thing I found that was interesting was I wouldn't say I found it scarier than before. I did find it sadder. Uh, mm. I felt very bad for Kevin as it progressed. It seemed very just that feeling of a four year old would feel it, it kind of replicates that feeling of you get lost at the mall when you're four years old, that that really primal early memory of, of fear when you're a child and to be in your house with everybody disappearing, not to mention the doors and windows, uh, we see them disappear at times. So I found it more affecting kind of on an emotional level the second time around, uh, probably because I wasn't trying to unlock what the movie was doing. Mm. Now, the next part of that is I don't know what, what the movie's supposed to quote unquote mean. What's supposed to be happening to this family? Is it an symbolic of something that that the family's going through is it uh, is it just an unknown entity that's possessed the house in some way what you know what the bigger picture is and i don't know that we are meant to know or figure it out or maybe it's just to be speculated about so joe you saw it for the first time yeah this and time. You, you brought up the blair witch i was going to bring up the blair witch because while found footage horror films or films predate the Blair Witch. Blair Witch is the one that kind of blew up that genre, that, that little subgenre of horror. But wouldn't it have been a experimental horror film whenever you kind of first saw it? Because I couldn't recall having had that experience before. Three people walk into the woods. They were never seen again. We found these videos. We're just going to show them to you. Right. A bit of an experiment, a little different than the typical narrative style, although the Blair Witch does have a start, a middle, and an end. Yeah. The thing that is experimental about this, right? What is experimental about? It's like pornography. You know it when you see it. Low-grade camera. Right. No lighting kit outside well, of whatever they had. They're actually using a pretty decent camera to get the shots. They're just downgrading. But, well, they're using so little light. Yeah. I mean, if you read, they they only use the light from a television and a couple like small LED lights that they had mm -hmm. to do the lighting for most of the shots in the film. So the noise you're seeing in the video is because they're shooting in extremely low light conditions that in you really dark. can't get a good right. image from. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. light is being pointed at specific things very specifically right. Right. sometimes not all the time although i'm sure you know what never mind yeah. it's probably all very specifically done the camera angles they're all from i guess if a four-year-old was holding a camera for lack of a better thought you never see the kids faces you see feet knees yeah. down mm -hmm. the camera low to the ground the cameras approaching doors as if a child was approaching yeah. that door the notion that there is a clear relationship between the toys specifically the lego set uh -huh. and then what's happening in the house as well so uh -huh. all of that is pointing me 
trying to push this maybe into a less experiment. Like, what are they saying narratively? Uh Clearly, this is clearly to me. It is from the little boy's point of view the entire time, except Mm -hmm. for the upside down shots, which maybe we can y'all can help me sort through here. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the best thing about both of these films is that they are very open to interpretation because they are so open-ended is that the right Right. way to put it i enjoyed the experience of watching it very much but david gurney's words were bouncing around in my brain the whole time this should be seen in the theater and i think it would have been more immersive and a little more true to the tone that they were going for had i there's also something that happens in in the movie at some point in the maybe last 10 minutes it gives you a a time frame it says and i, I forget the number of days 500 something days yes 532 days something like that so they give you such so little information that must mean something so are we to you know has kevin been in this weird limbo state for over a year you know mm-hmm. while this is happening why what is what does that day mean and it, it's one of those things where the and we, we'll talk about this a little bit in the other film but it is easy just to let this movie be an experience. Some there's some movies where it's more impressionistic. You're just feeling the quote unquote vibes or or whatever uh, of the movie. But then they put some things in there that that make my brain want to try to unlock the puzzle and figure out well, what is this supposed to be? What's the significance of this number of days? Why are the toys sticking to the ceiling now? What's happening? And then they're eventually they're all they're all clustered together Mm -hmm. you know so there's a part of me that wants to try to figure out what the narrative is what it's trying to say or or what's happening i think what you're hitting on sean is is a very i mean it's i I relate it's a very common experience and i think with experimental films you know often it's about experience more than it is delivering us a story right it's just trying to kind of get us Mm -hmm. to to get into a certain experiential mindset right we're seeing images that we think we can make sense sense of and and i think just as humans we tend to be very like you know sort of wanting to see the patterns wanting to understand what is making this all happen understand the sort of rationale behind it and that's where i think a lot of times experimental filmmakers upset us because they don't want to give you the answers they just want you to experience this thing for what it is um, whatever they put forward. And, you know, I think there are those narrative filmmakers who kind of flirt with that. David Lynch, right, I think would, mm-hmm, be, a, would mm-hmm. be one that we would yeah. probably all agree kind of drops these things at times where it's like, oh, d- that never got followed up on. But what does that mean? And then his fans, you know, like the Twin Peaks had like a notorious fandom of people who were, well, it must mean something. Let's connect this clue. And I think he sits back and just says, that's wonderful. I think people, tra- <laughs> you know, I think yeah. he, he loves it that people obsess about it. But he's just interested in dropping the breadcrumbs and seeing what y'all do with it, right? I think Ball, Kyle Edward Ball here, um, you know, as a filmmaker, is is kind of doing something similar. For me, why this film resonated so deeply the first time I saw it, and, and it still does, I think, are for a few reasons. One is I like experimental film. I've come around at this point in my life. I've been exposed to it enough, and I kind of appreciate what it does enough. And just being able to experience something that I can't predict and that I can't necessarily just, well, okay, he's going to become important in the third act, you know, that kind of thing. That there's something unique about that, and I sort of just value that in itself. The other is that it kind of creates this almost meditative space where I kind of 
I don't want to say zone out, but almost zone into the imagery. Like I can just sort of totally just let my mind wander into the image in a way. And I think this film, that seeing it blown up on the screen, Joe, you were talking about the degraded quality of it, right? right? Yes, that there's yes, all this yes. kind of noise and yeah. grain to it. And some of that was some of the most frightening stuff to me in the cinema, not as much so on my home viewing experience, but when I was in the cinema, I remember feeling like, oh my God, anything could emerge out of these shadows at any right. point. And I, mm -hmm. I think I see a shape there. I think, and sometimes it would be, you know, mm -hmm. like there would be a shape that would emerge or sometimes it's just a slow dissolve of a figure. There's that shot towards the end of a female like sitting on a bed. It might right. be Kaylee. I'm not sure if it's Kaylee. I'm not supposed sure to be her mother or maybe the I mom. Think. But it's far enough off. It looks small. So it could be a child. It might be a woman. Okay. And nonetheless, it just sort of dissipates. It's like, the, and it's like a slow dissipation mm -hmm. where, and because the footage is so grainy to begin with and so noisy, it's hard to even, is that, is it still there? Is it appearing? Is it disappearing? But to do that, it needs to take time. It needs to let you sit there with these images that really aren't well-defined and, and to sort of put you into that mindset. So I experienced the experimental elements of the imagery here and the sound for that matter in like a positive way, I think. And that was probably the thing that I was most excited about. Like, I've never seen a feature length experimental film in the cinema at the multiplex in Corpus Christi because it just doesn't happen. Right. There isn't an audience. Now, maybe the Art Museum of South Texas put something, you know, sure. like, may, maybe in the, in the context of a gallery or I get to see some video art that kind of does that. But not something that, you know, audiences are paying tickets to go see and sit for two hours and, and experience. So that that was a unique thing in and of itself and something that I enjoy doing. But I think the thing that really got me about Skinnamarink is and where the project came from, which I didn't know going into it, but I could tell and I was not surprised to hear the origins of it after was, you know, Ball was running a YouTube channel or had a YouTube channel where he was creating videos where people would basically tell him scenarios from their nightmares and he would try to create some vision of that thing and capture that. And a lot of them had having to do with nightmares that had originated in childhood of course and i still have some distinct memories of nightmares that i had as a kid and they almost always gravitated or you know sort of collected around this not understanding my parents not understanding me me not being able to get through to them that i'm in some kind of distress i can remember vividly dreams of walking into my parents room and saying mommy i'm having a nightmare or something and she doesn't turn over. She doesn't respond to me. She just lays there. And I think she should be responding to me, but I can't reach out and get her. So there's this very dreamlike quality to this that resonated with me deeply. And it's so interesting to see that other people have had these similar kinds of dreams. This idea that when you're that young and you're at the mercy of these adults to really take care of you and to understand you, that there are these times in the night where you're cloaked in darkness and maybe your mom doesn't wake up right away and you're left to your own devices to kind of try to understand. And that might be a fun and frivolous time. Maybe you go grab the cereal and you get out in front of the TV and you start watching cartoons late at night and it's like kind of this thing. But then maybe a noise happens and then maybe you don't know where it goes. And you're So to me, this resonated very deeply as like, oh, this is kind of what it's like to be four or five years old. So this this film really stoked your untended trauma. Like you're I think so. Okay. Yeah. To me, there are two interpretations. Number one, it is a dream. It is Kevin's dream. Mm -hmm. Or number two, when Kevin had his injury at the very, very beginning of the movie, he went into a coma. And this is what he's thinking about in this coma that has lasted 532 days. 
Hmm. Yeah. But I'm probably wrong and maybe I'm right, you know, because well, that's I think, the kind of project that we're talking again, about. Again, I I have a I strongly suspect Ball would would say if you told him like, yeah, it's him and it, it like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you think that. That's a good interpretation. You know, that's what I think you would get. Not a you got the right one, you but got the a, wrong one, it's oh, right, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I that's an interesting interpretation. My mine was similar to your second one, Joe, which is that something is happening to the family that they are everybody is dying and this is sort of the liminal state between death and the afterlife and it's it's taking longer it, it, what we would think would happen in an instant is happening over a protracted period of time 90 minutes or however long the film is yeah uh or maybe in his case 532 days i guess i had that idea that because each person seems to they're, they're present the family members are there i think there's a part where he's trying to talk to his dad then we see the mom the the silhouette of her and then kaylee disappears and i think she's punished because she didn't do what she was told to do and so i i thought maybe or maybe just kevin is dying and this is what that experience is like it's not yeah quick you know which is really horrifying to think of that's where your imagination can do a lot a lot more damage than a jump scare and there are a couple of those i think um, effective ones i i bitched about yes. the exorcist believer jump scare with the snakes mm -hmm. uh, a week or two ago oh, spoiler i have not seen that masterpiece yet so please don't <laughs> tell me it well, there's, a jump the snakes. Scare there's a snake <laughs> it's, it's on the ground and the snakes have nothing to do with the plot it's not right. a snake demon that has invested these two girls it's just snake it's so cheap but the jump scares here, they work really well because the film is very quiet. Yeah. There's a rumbling. There's weird voices. Whirring. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, um, like recorder yeah, tape yeah. being yeah. clipped on and right. off. That, you can hear that noise. But otherwise, it's a pretty quiet film. And then every once in a while, they get you with a ping. And yeah. there's this face with no a woman's face with no eyes and no mouth. Just I believe that's split Kaylee. second. Split second. Yeah. Think, Kaylee. Yeah. I think and it's Kaylee. Later, he said, he said later he took the voice her, says, I took her. I took her yeah. mouth away. It goes away. And I'm watching this in the light of day mm -hmm. alone in my place. And I, 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 okay, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, <laughs> <laughs> where well, are my well, Legos? There is a thing too that looking at David, you, you hit on this. When you're looking at a, an image for so long, I think of if somebody's ever been like scuba diving where you see the deep, where it's just inky blackness. You can't see anything beyond. And it's creepy to think if something suddenly swam out of that, that darkness. And the same thing when you're just looking at a, a wall and you think you see a shape and you're not sure and it kind of resolves itself. It also really, I don't even think this is a childhood thing, when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're a little disoriented, you move around and you see something, you know, you see a tennis racket laying down, but it looks like an axe murderer or something like in your, your yeah. head, your scenes, are you seeing something that's not there? Are you seeing out of the corner of your eye? I, I mean, I do think it does have the, the absence of, of things happening in some of the shots are very effective at, because you're expecting something to jump out. And, and when it doesn't, that's also sort of eerie in a way. Yeah. 
I think duration is is something that he plays with here, right? How long he leaves you with certain shots and how long you're kind of mm-hmm. left to just wonder what's there and what, what isn't there. You earlier were saying that about half the theater left while you were screening it. Now, I was surprised. <laughs> I kept thinking people were going to start leaving at a certain point in my screening, but honestly, they didn't. And it was, you know, like a pretty half full theater. I did hear people on the way out, though, audibly like, Oh, come on. You know, like there there were definitely yeah. frustration, but nobody walked out. But I but I understand why, because if you don't like it, I get it. At a, this is not a narrative film. If you get 10 minutes into this thing, it's going to become clear to you. We're not going to establish any clear characters here. I mean, like we were talking about Kevin and Kaylee as if they're I mean, we just hear these names at certain points. And we, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, like the, we're we're kind of left to kind of piece stuff together. I think 10 minutes into this, most viewers most mainstream moviegoers are going to feel like this is not a film this is a right assemblage of images that's just here to kind of well it's a kind of film but not the kind of film that they want to watch right and, not and that I, we've been trained to watch i fully understand people who just decide to jump ship on this early on now i think it rewards <laughs> you if you can stick with it and you can get into mm. its into its thing but i think it it really demands that you sort of give it that attention I think the theater helped me with that the first time around, though I did have students who really loved it. And they claimed that seeing it uh, when it was circulating illicitly and doing Mm. it like at home, they they love watching stuff on their laptop, you know, watching it on their laptop with headphones on in the dark was as scary an experience as they as they could have imagined with it. So I think there's probably a version of that kind of viewer experience that you can have at home, too. But I do think it's different, you know. One thing I like, and I mean, I partly feel bad. I'm sure there's people who just like horror movies and they heard there's a, a horror film on it, their local Regal or Cinemark, and they go see it and it's this, and it's not what they expected at all. I partly feel bad for them, but I'm also, I, I also kind of love it. I, I remember when Blair Witch came out, there were people that were pissed off at the movie not because they didn't think it was good but because they found out oh this movie only costs what twenty thousand dollars to make and it's such low quality i paid eight dollars for this and i i I think it's a weird argument to say is there a correlation between the budget of the film and and what you're paying to go see that makes a difference whether you enjoy it or not but but people who and I, i guess maybe for the blair witch example maybe they didn't they didn't get it they didn't it it just didn't work for them Mm. it didn't scare them the way it did some people and that's where the disappointment came i mean but i i I do like the idea of challenging films i love a very divisive film i always get excited when people say when you have as many people saying i hated this movie as they do love it and Mm -hmm. this was a very this is a heavily memed uh, movie. It was the uh, especially the telephone. I, I don't know what the name of that is, but I mean, I, I, we all had chatter. Yeah. Okay, it it is creepy. It it does say something about how creepy something can be in the right context. You know, you put a teddy bear with no eyes in the dark, and all of a sudden it's going to look pretty weird. But people had fights on the internet about this movie about how much they hated it and it was unscary versus people who loved it and it said it changed their life. And I, I love that sort of, as long as it's good natured, as long as, you know, they're not attacking each other. I love something that's kind of divisive like that, that that gets people because it's still a conversation about film. And that's something that, I mean, nobody is having those conversations about 
the Ant-Man Quantumania or something. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, not to pick on that. That's the first thing yeah. popped in my head. But you know what I mean? It didn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Um, people are going to have very strong reactions to this thing one way or the other. I know. I, I agree with you, Sean. I, I love a film that has kind of a polarized reception for that very reason. It gets people talking like I want to hear like and I remember people who but my recollection of people who hated Blair Witch were the people who felt that they had been misled by the marketing and that it was like real found footage or something. And then they're like, Oh, that was, they were actors. And that was, I I mean, I do remember (laughs) that aspect of the reaction where I'm like, but that, you know, that was a choice that they made to try to market it. Now I think, Hey, absolutely. It's a show people like whatever you do to like get people primed (laughs) and to get and deliver it. And if it got you scared and then you feel you know, jilted after because you find out that the scares were fictional scares and not real scares. Well, come on. What are you like? What, what are you really <laughs> expecting out of it? But but nonetheless, I do remember that kind of backlash going on with that one in particular. I do. I do, too, which is sort of disturbing. Like, So you would have enjoyed the film more if you knew that the actors had actually died. Right. I want to okay. know that that's, these that's a choice out in the woods. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was rooting for the Blair Witch. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think as far as experimental and the notion that it came out just a year ago, uh, earlier this year, and is available right now on Hulu, or I rented it on Amazon for like okay. $1.99 special today. Oh, look at that. This is definitely one worth seeing. I, I would suggest you watch it at night so that you don't have sunlight coming into yeah. your house because, like we talked about, the quality of the film, the darkness presented... Uh, you want uh, as much dark around you to off to contrast with the the images that that you do see. I I liked this very much. Oh, had I'm... a lot of it had a lot of hype. You know, yeah. I hadn't allowed that hype to excel my expectations to where they could not be met. This was a good entry in what we're trying to do today. Wow. I, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of shocked that we all uh, came came out pretty positive. Well, I don't know, Sean. I mean, definitively, you you liked. No, it? I think it's I I think it's successful. What. What I was alluding to, and I know I was breaking the code of talking about the movie before, (laughs) was that I didn't find, I didn't walk out of it going, I feel icky or weird or creepy. I understood what the movie is trying to do. It just didn't work on that visceral level for me. Like I said, weirdly, it kind of did the second time watching it on, I actually watched it on my phone the second time, partly on the TV, and then I had to switch to my phone, but I didn't feel bad about normally I hate doing that, but because it was disseminated that way initially, that's the way a lot of people saw it is yeah. probably on their phone. I, I think that would be an interesting experience because you see a lot of videos on the internet. It's one thing to say, this is a film you're going to go see. This is You're going to the movies and you're going to see a movie. This is a video and you don't have a context for it. What, what am I watching? You know, just, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how it was shared that way, it, you know, if people had a lot of context for what was being shown to them that when they saw it before it had a, a wide release. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it's I, I'm curious to see and this kind of goes into the next next one we're doing. I'm curious to see what the people behind this movie do next. I yeah. mean, because I think they they definitely uh, created a sense of uh, atmosphere. They did a lot with very, very little, which I think is always intriguing and, and sometimes gets some of the most interesting results. So, uh, no, overall, I have a positive take on it. Well, and Sean, how is that beer from Fullbrook? All right, all right, all right. I declare it serviceable. 
So it's all right, all right, all right. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But yeah, all right, all right, all right. It's one and a half all right. <laughs> are you running out to your beer store to pick up a lot more cream ales now? Or are you a convert yeah, to the it's style? It's my new favorite style. So I'm I'm all over it. All cream ales all the time. A little dollop of half and half in there totally helps out. <laughs> I, I wish we'd gotten our hands on that one. We got our hands, David, on this Tup's beer day of the dead day of the dead a juicy pale ale which i mean they're between the way it looks and smells and tastes it's almost like a hazy pale ale yeah i would i would say this this qualifies as a hazy pale ale and i mean it, it really is just kind of like a slightly lighter hazy ipa correct yeah um i found this very delicious i enjoyed I, the I, hell out of it you know the, the beers that i get from tops generally are yeah. top notch so this is no exception i think it's got a great Great taste that the, certainly there's the citrusy notes in there yeah. from the hops that I like, you know, the appearance is lovely all around at 5.5% alcohol by volume. I know I can drink a couple of these yeah. and not be too snowed in by it. I've, I've enjoyed this can I've had during this first half of the show uh, very much. So uh, thank you, Joe. I'd buy these again year round. I don't even have to wait until Dia de los Muertos to enjoy the next one. This one. This is good. This is really good. Good yeah. job, Tups, and we appreciate what you do. Yes. This film was challenging to discuss because of its experimental nature, but I think that we're only getting started because we're going to take on a cult classic experimental film when we get back. We're back. Uh, Sean is putting a wig on via Zoom for reasons unknown, but I'm assuming <laughs> that they will make themselves known. If he, if he starts slicing into his abdomen, I'm going to get worried. And the three <laughs> of us are joining. Uh, the three of us are enjoying the same beer this time. David, what did you bring us? This looks delicious. As we were preparing or, or in the midst of all horror October, and we're like, we need more horror-themed beers. We need more beers that have... You know, I had gone to various locations to try to find beers that had some sort of horrific element to what they were named or their can art or whatever. Um, and I found this can mm -hmm. from a brewery that we had not had before. They are out of Los Angeles. This is Paperback Brewing Company. And apparently it seems to be a collaboration. Turn the can. Oh, okay. With Mason Aleworks, who, who we, we have had. had. Okay. Yeah. So we we've had Mason, but we've not had something they've collaborated with Paperback before. But these two breweries came together and made a beer called Tragedy at the Sock Puppet Theater, um, <laughs> where on the can we have the art depicting one of the sock puppets having been, uh, you know, hit by a light that has descended upon it. The other ones kind of seem to be shrieking in horror at the situation so the tragedy and there's there's fire behind them it, you know clearly something has gone awry at, at the sock puppet theater maybe a sock puppet has died i don't know if that means that the person attached to that sock puppet has also died but nonetheless the tragedy the can art said to me this is an acceptable all horror Horrific. october it's the last thing theater. you want to see at a sock puppet right. theater and it's a west right. coast style style ipa at seven percent alcohol by volume Nice and amber. Okay, but but more uh, tra translucent oh, than yeah, our yeah. Uh, not than our are juicy beer. from before. Mm. And Sean, you were able to get cans for yourself <laughs> or a can. I, I I got a four pack. Nice. Hope you like it. 
Well, yeah, I hope th- this is my first time trying it. So <laughs> okay. I'm committed to it now. Somehow I have the task. Nice aroma on it. Of synopsizing this film. We're talking about Begotten, by the way, from 1989. Uh, a film that got a limited theatrical release and then later got a very small VHS release, but then was you know put out of print, so to speak. You cannot find it on any of the major streaming services, but the film has got such a lore and such a cult following that we ended up watching this on Vimeo. So if you go to Vimeo and type in Begotten, you, you will find it. It's all black and white, by the way. Um, the director has said that he wanted the film to appear as if it was as old as the Dead Sea Scrolls was found in the dirt and then is now for, for, for us, us to uh, ruminate over as if it's like a religious text almost. Uh, that director is uh, Edmund Elias Murridge, or maybe Edmund E. Murridge, he goes. That's the name that's on the Unbegotten. He went on to direct, and Sean, you were, you were commenting, uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which we were all kind of surprised to know. Right. So here's I, IMDb's, IMDb synopsis. The film opens with a robed, profusely bleeding god disemboweling himself, editorial note, with a straight razor, with the act ultimately ending in his death. God is dead. A woman, Mother Earth, emerges from his remains, arouses God's body, <laughs> and impregnates herself with his semen. Becoming pregnant, she wanders into a vast and barren landscape. So I've pulled up three internet synopses. Exhibit B, God killing himself, which is the actual name of the character in the credits. Mother Earth, name in the credits, mm-hmm. and Son of Earth are players in a myth of primal gore. Exhibit C, Begotten tells the story of the death of religion, the abuse of nature by man, and a nihilistic outlook on what life is. This is an experimental film episode. So clearly we're, we, you already know that we're talking about something that might be hard to decipher. I will not rest. We cannot end the podcast until the three of us have figured out what this film is about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it when you yeah s- s- set a high bar, sure. Joe. Yeah. Sean, what is this movie about for real? Wow. Uh, <laughs> did any of the synopses ring true with you yeah i'm trying to think it's almost hard to articulate how i felt about the movie i understand sort of the actions that were happening and then reading the synopsis i read the same synopsis just to make sure i'm okay am i seeing what i think i'm seeing or i don't know again it's one of those i understand the action i understand the through line I don't know what it's exactly what it's supposed to mean. I don't know that we're supposed to know what it's supposed to mean, uh, which is, you know, a convenient way of saying, I have no idea what's what's going on in this film. Visually, I've really never seen anything like this. You see elements of it in other things that are, you know, kind of the grainy, uh, distorted uh, appearance that you might see in... Interesting, I think he went on to direct music videos, uh, the uh, the director, but you might see it in as a short sequence in a video. It might be a nightmare sequence in a in a horror film. 
or something, but it's the entire movie is like um, and, Johnny Get Your Gun, like one Metallica, like yeah. black and white, very grainy, a right, lot yeah. of disturbing ish. Or how about the, the video in the ring? You, you know, sure. something yes. like that. Where again, you're trying get, to figure get, out yeah, very good. That's yes. You're trying to figure out what am I watching? I know I'm watching something. I know something is not right here. What, what, what is this supposed to be? What I found really interesting, though, is it has a obviously a huge reputation as a you know cult film, an experimental film. And I did not watch it on Vimeo. I watched it in an even more bizarre set of circumstances. I, I hosted on Facebook, which is in itself a hellscape. And every time <laughs> and I couldn't watch it in one sitting for a variety of reasons. But every time I would go back, I'd, I would lose my place. And it, as if that and made I any think, difference, Sean. Come on, I don't think so. But I think that there's not really a commercial way to see this film. You can probably buy a bootleg DVD or VHS tape sure. if you even have a VHS player. But this is how this movie has been seen by most people who are fans of it in some sort of weird set of circumstances a bad transfer off of a million VCR copies you know, hosted on Facebook. And I don't know that the version that I saw on Facebook was any different from what I looked at on Vimeo. I think it, I mean, it's supposed to look the way it's supposed to look. I didn't find it unwatchable in terms of horror. Uh, that's one thing I, I, I found interesting is people said this is one of the most gory films you'll ever see. And obviously you have God disemboweling himself. It was unpleasant to watch those scenes, but it wasn't, I wasn't thinking I was actually seeing guts come out of somebody's body. I right. did find certain parts of it very unpleasant, which I felt like was the intention. The opening sequence when he is uh, has a straight razor, his hands are tremor. He has it's like he has tremors or, or shakes the way he's mm -hmm. moving, and there's a lot of tapping, repetitive motion, and it's almost it, it's unpleasant in that sense. I don't know. Certain noises kind of irritate me, but I kind of feel like the sound mix on it was supposed to be that way it's not it's not poor filmmaking it's right it's what the intentions it's of the author yeah yeah the, of the filmmakers were i also found it really interesting that apparently and there's it's debated it took three years to make this film over, over the course of three years but it was about only five months of filming and and joe has alluded to this before we were very 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 amateur filmmakers that and we would make home movies, horror films, things like that, that took months, if not years, to quote-unquote complete. I've said quote-unquote too many times. That's going to be my... Uh, <laughs> somebody's going to complain about that. Edit that out, please. Quote-unquote. I'm very fascinated by this movie. This is a movie where I'm more interested in how it came together. This is a movie that I would like to read things about, but maybe not necessarily watch the movie again, if that makes sense. I disagree. I never want to read anything about it. No, I'm kidding. I, I agree with you on that part, but I do want to watch this again. I only had a chance to watch it once before mm. the podcast today. I think that a second, third, fourth viewing, this is a party movie. Hear me out. <laughs> okay. Because everyone's what kind of parties are you having? <laughs> well, maybe you like your Halloween party. Like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's got the gore. No, it's got some imagery and people are going to be asking at the party. What are we watching? And then you get to tell the story. I'm not kidding. I do want to dive into mm. what this thing is about. Yeah. 
he's said that he's interested in creation myths, right? Like this, this idea of where does it all come from? Where does everything come from? Where, you know, like God, the universe that, you know, like, the, and the if earth. God kills himself, then what? Well, that and, and, seems to me to be the big question here. Yeah. And, and I think there are these there is various, no God, God is dead. You know. Right. And there are these, yes. Right. So is this like somehow symbolizing, but then there are these myths where it's like in order for God to continue God's work, God needs to take on another form and maybe God kills this form and then becomes the mother earth form. And then the mother, you know, so I, I think that it taps into a lot of these primordial myths mm -hmm. that have existed where we've tried to explain what the origins of everything are human humanity i guess and most of those myths have violent dimensions to them sure and you know here taking out a rib absolutely breathing the breath of god into a lifeless form right. to make man right that didn't happen with the rest of the animal kingdom right. in the christian story and from death and decomposition comes new life, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the the ultimate, like, do we do away with the Mother Earth and and the um, Son of Man? What what is the the character called? Flesh in, on bone or something? Do we do away with them and then put them in the ground and then they create new life because of that? You know, like they become. I mean, he's tapping into these kind of primordial myths, consciously doing so with a visual vocabulary that is trying to get us to think of something that's been unearthed, something that's been hidden away from us and like giving us this access to this kind of privileged, if not almost taboo information. Like this is something that human eyes shouldn't see. I think that's when I saw this film over 20 years ago now in the wake of Shadow of a Vampire, that's how I learned about this film. Shadow of a Vampire hmm. came out and I was reading about this guy and they mentioned that he had made this notorious cult film begotten about a decade before that. It was actually available at my local video store oh, on VHS. You know, there was a, there was a VHS release in the right. 90s. And I remember watching it and it felt like, oh, my God, this is like this is contraband. This is something that wasn't supposed to be seen by anybody. And yet here it is. And look, it's giving us now what it actually is. I mean, I think it's throwing together these various this kind of idea of a creation myth. Right. And in some of the most violent and sexually explicit at times elements of that. But I don't think it's giving us real answers as much as it's kind of touching upon these ideas and doing so in a way that's kind of got this unsettling element to it because of how degraded the imagery is. Right. And it's funny yeah. when you read about what lengths they went to to create these images because they shot this on 16 millimeter film, mm -hmm. which which would have been crisp and clean. Right. If exposed yeah. appropriately, which they were shooting outdoors with sunlight and like th th these images could have come across as fairly clear and distinct. And we we would see, you know, the outlines of characters very clearly and understand what, what everything was going on. See some of the sky in the background. Instead, we get this really high contrast image where you have really dark blacks and you have really light blown out whites but almost nothing in between and he did that intentionally to kind of because it, it's as if this film this footage has existed for so long that all of those details in the in the image have faded. sort of like faded away sure. over time and so all we're left with are the sort of relics of this past set of events that were recorded by this camera that shouldn't have existed anyway right and I, I love that they went to such lengths to make this thing. You know, it's like when somebody um, 
you know, fakes a, a relic of some sort, right? Like, and they, you know, they degrade something intentionally mm-hmm. to kind of make it look you, like you, you put lemon juice on it and throw it in the oven, right? To get right. the parchment, like some parchment, parchment yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, there's something like great and theatrical about that. And this guy's coming out of the theater. I think there's this sense right. of like theatricality to this and this very like i'm giving you this peek at the primordial beginnings of of you know human life and 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 what it all means and and where and yet it's inscrutable right because it's so far removed it's so far in the past it's something so foundational to how we we can't understand the totality of it all we're going to get are these glimpses of it and we're going to have to try to make sense of it i was on youtube and i saw i I wanted to watch a couple of reviews Mm because i mean to make sense of what I just saw. Yeah. And one of the, I did not click on this video, but it was the most sacrilegious movie ever made. I saw and, that. And too. I was like, eh, I didn't watch that one. But I mean, let me read the synopsis again. God kills himself from his body comes mother earth mm-hmm. who then steals the corp God's corpses sperm mm-hmm. to impregnate herself. And then she has um, the son of God. Yeah. Jesus, because that's a term that we right. use for Jesus, and Mother Earth is not a term we normally use for Mary, but Mother Mary, whatever. Son of Earth. I'm son sorry, Earth. Son of Earth. Yeah. Mother Earth, Son of Earth. It, it, it has got problems. He's he's half <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's convulsing. Yeah. He's yeah. Seizure, he's having a seizure all of the time. And then Mother Earth rejects him, leaves him, yeah. where this wandering group of nomads come grab him by the umbilical cord to pull him out of a pit because mm-hmm. he's got a very like 25 foot long umbilical cord. Yeah. And then he begins. And I had to, something was happening on screen. Something was coming out right. of his mouth. Wikipedia tells me that he's organs, his yeah. organs, his were, organs he was yeah. vomiting up his organs, which they then harvest like a gift. Yeah. And then the film ends with mother uh, earth and son of earth dead. And they, tear the bodies apart, put them into jars and plant them. And then flowers, you know, life mm-hmm. springs forth from the earth from now this I can get on board with. Mm-hmm. That's a very much a philosophy. I agree with it, that, that I don't know the words. And I, it's no formal religion, but we are energy. Yeah. And when we die, our bodies will go into the ground or maybe we'll be cremated. New life. I'll ask from, both yeah. of you what y'all's plans are in after hours, <laughs> by the way, because I have a very solid. Plan. I, uh, seriously, I'm going the jar route. I've, I'm disembowelment okay. into jars. That's, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, there's aspects to this that I like very much. The 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 circle of life, yeah. the energy flows through the earth and that our bodies when they die, just like the bodies, sometimes in gardening, you'll use fish, fish yep. for some reason. Yep. The mm-hmm. corpse of a fish, the de- the the decomposed fish down deep in your garden soil really puts a lot of vitamins and nutrients yeah. and you get great tomatoes, you know, that kind of thing. Just a lot of this that I don't have a problem with. Yeah. However, the difficulty in watching this does not come, Sean, from it being the goriest film I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination. The black and white really helps with that because blood red is much more striking than I a think black and white right. image and also the degraded quality of it like you mm-hmm. can't make out details sometimes i think that some of the stuff that it's more the sexuality for me here or or the depictions of sex or or aspects of sexuality that i feel like are disturbing we're 
were the most provocative. Okay. When when I saw it and when I saw it again, like, you know, you, you we've talked about the her harvesting semen. I mean, she's essentially jerking off a corpse, the corpse of God. So that's a very, you know, specific corpse. But nonetheless, you know, doing that. Now, how many films do we see that are, you know, other than that get quarter categorized as pornography mm-hmm. um, that have that sort of graphic depiction of human sexuality? Very little. Right. I mean, that that's a pretty rare thing. Also, later when they're raping the Mother Earth, right? There's some pretty graphic them jamming her vagina in in a, in a way that um, it's really degraded. So it's again like if you're, I could imagine if you had this on at a party, if you were doing the party movie route, mm-hmm. you could have somebody be like, "What is that that's happening on the screen?" But then if you actually look at it long enough, and you have, or if you've been following along, and you have to explain, oh, that's them jamming. Of a giant, they're raping her. You mm-hmm. know, like that's a tough pill to swallow. So when you ask what tough... kind of party is this, you you are bringing it into focus. Yeah. Uh, maybe we don't have this as a party <laughs> movie, right? Yeah, just more Wakanda Hollywood. <laughs> or no, what is it? Wakaliwood. What was it? Wakaliwood. Wakaliwood. Yeah. The original <laughs> yeah, 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 party yeah. movie conversation. No, those would be great. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one has some touchy. I think, especially around sexuality. I mean, the disembowelment stuff is troubling, but we've seen that in so many horror films. But here there's like kind of a level of sexual yeah. and sexual violence that I feel like goes beyond. Did you what have that experience? Like you knew you were seeing a rape. I never saw anybody get jerked off. It was very. Oh, I'll show you the pictures again. I mean, it, it was, came through to me it was more, more clearly subtle. this time. You see pubic area and you see hand moving down there, but I didn't. Anyway, yeah, Joe, I had the same experience you did, too. I mean, I I was like, oh, I because I think in let's blame Facebook. I mean, some of it, I I probably just couldn't tell what it was I was seeing either through the medium I was watching it on or the um, the the intentional degradation of the film quality. Sean, what did you text me? Does this movie change? I, you you said it funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember what I said, but yeah, like I, like, I, I think I said why left is. <laughs> Do I? I, th- I think I get where this is going. <laughs> it's uh, I, it doesn't it. end well, does it? <laughs> no. I mean, uh, it's 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 kind of a retelling of the Giving Tree if you really think about it. So ah, it's a little bit more graphic. Well, then, well done, Sean. I think you just wrapped a ribbon around this that we can all be happy with. Wow. You know, and, and here is the thing: jerking off God's corpse, blah blah blah. You're gonna hear these things and be like, "I don't think that's for me." And you know what? Maybe it's not. And maybe Skinnerink is not. I think this is a horror movie. Clearly, is it an experimental horror movie? It might have written the book, but it is a work of art. It is artists putting together a specific thing for you to consume as a piece of art. And I think that what would have really helped me here, and I need to just like make a a, a little audio thing where I, uh, David, stop showing me your pornography. Stop showing me that. There's a distinct jerk off part. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought because of that. Uh, the My visual intervention. Yes, I'm visual. sorry. It's fine. It's, it's a fleeting moment, but yeah. Uh, the idea that, oh, uh, the, the, the theatrical experience yeah. would have really helped you here. You're locked in. I've you can't never use had your that. phone. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, you're, you're, you're trapped in it, if you yeah. will. I mean, the same way I would have been trapped in The Shining mm. when we went to go see it in the theater a couple of weeks yeah. ago. That might have benefited me here. I was yeah. at my place. I had, uh, you know, I could push pause. I could, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I found this to be 
oddly, strangely compelling and ha- leaving me with more questions and answers, which makes me think I will watch this again. Definitely. Joe, did you watch it in one entire sitting? Yes. Okay. With a couple of, well, and, I'm saying a couple of pause breaks, you know, when I okay. maybe might, might've not given the film all the respect and attention that it deserved in one go. Well, I agree with you. And some of it, I mean, I always experience movies better in the theater just because there's fewer distractions. I, I do think that immersive experience would have made it better. I don't, and I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing the film. I appreciate what it's doing. What's interesting. I agree with you on your assessment of it, except that I don't know if I would call it necessarily even a horror film because I don't think, I don't think that's what the intention is because it really is about a creation myth. (laughs) I did see the same. It's filled. I'm sorry sorry to interrupt, but it's filled with such horrific imagery that I think it qualifies. Well, but okay. But by that logic is like passion. The Christ has very horrific imagery. Is that, a horror film. I mean, and some people might say yes because of the imagery alone, but I don't think it gets classified that way. If you, you know, if you put it on, uh, that's just a historical drama. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to open that can of worms. (laughs) I mean, I think Sean, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head in a, in a way here because, and, and this is something that I wanted to ask that it, because it is positioning itself as sort of a creation myth, is this really a horror film is or is it instead using a lot of the same tropes of life, death, you know, disembowelment, these these things that exist in various theologies, right? The, the, the way that we view the origins of the universe and how everything works that just make it kind of a foundational thing. Like, again, like there are ways that you can pluck things out of the Bible and say, like, you could make a great horror movie and people have. You know what I mean? And and you're entitled to do that. But then there is a way that, no, these are like such shared foundational ideas that when we start thinking about where did we come from? Well, we obviously come from death in some sense. We also are life. And how do those things sort of like, where's the balance there? Where does it all originate from? And this is a film that's musing about that. It's It's not gore to shock you and to titillate you or to um, make you think like, ooh, somebody's going to, you know, somebody's going to make me kill myself because I'm God and I'm going to be, you know, this right. isn't about getting under your Watch skin. Watch out, God, there's a razor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> None of the fun is, of it. There's, no, there's no that. fun here. This is more like, there's something much more practical going on here well, <laughs> in, a, I, in a philosophical way. I think if it was filmed, I mean, you mentioned it was filmed on 16 millimeter. If it was filmed in a more conventional way, if it was easy to identify what you were seeing, it would be a lot of sex and violence and mm-hmm. it would have a different impact than what it's intending to do, which like right. you said, to, to, to titillate, uh, because there's obviously there's graphic sex and graphic violence happening, but you're not experiencing it the same way you would in the, a horror film. I, I wonder what, again, what the filmmaker would even classify it as. I, I would guess that uh, they would probably kind of reject any sort of specific classification yeah. in terms of genre. And I think that's something we just, we all do to any movie, just put it in a category. I think Skinamarink is clearly in the horror genre. I don't think somebody yeah. can really debate what, what the intention is there. Whereas this, I'm not really sure that it's, although horrific that it really qualifies as, is horror, but I mean, it's certainly open to debate. Um, yeah. It, 
I, I some of the other Joe, I like you, I went because I was really so kind of perplexed by the film. I, I went and watched some other videos um, and read some other things about it. And people had very one dimensional callow kind of responses to it. You know, someone was saying like, obviously this guy's supposed to look like Leatherface because, you know, the God <laughs> at first, because yeah, right. yeah. I, I, can um, see that. I don't think that was the intention or anything, but they were looking at it through a prism of this is the goriest horror film ever and the most sacrilegious film ever. And I don't think it had anything to do with any of that. I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that horror was really a reference point for the people involved in making this necessarily. They just were showing sort of a un well, I guess it was filtered, but kind of an unfiltered view of like how violent uh, and graphic uh, that creation myth can really be. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I I think this is a great point, Sean, and I I understand why it gets put into horror in in a lot of tellings of it because it does have horrific imagery. And I think the mystery around it also kind of puts it in and it unsettles people that way, I think, at mm -hmm. times. But I but I agree with you. I don't think that's necessarily what marriage was going for, although he obviously has some interest in because he did Shadow of a Vampire mm -hmm. after right. this, you know, the other. So he, he hasn't I don't think he's rejected that in a way, but I don't know that that was really what he. I don't think he set out to make a horror film. Right. Yeah. Right. The expectations were high. Yeah. Because when we announced that we were doing Begotten, yeah, and I announced on Discord or somewhere, join us on Discord, uh, that I had never seen it. It was oh shit, oh yeah, <laughs> oh we gotta take mushrooms and watch Begotten. You know, <laughs> that might have been a great idea to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, because it was oh god, it was something I've never even seen. Want to think with that experience, it was something <laughs> I've never seen before. Sean, you said that it was something I've never yeah. seen before. Mm -hmm. How often do we spend a lot of money to have experiences that we've never had before? Well, this is on Vimeo now, or uh, Sean can send you the Facebook link. <laughs> well, I'd, hey, when we're experimenting with films, sometimes, uh, you know, things go awry and occasionally can even get tragic. But when we're at the Sock Puppet Theater, we mm -hmm. hope everything's going to go just fine. You assume it would. Except occasionally a light does fall <laughs> and, and tragedy does occur. And what it does, maybe it inspires a beer. Is that a beer that's worth drinking, though? I would say, resolutely, yes, it is a beer worth is drinking. It? I it... think this is a good. I think this is a good West Coast IPA, and I say that because West Coast IPAs, when they piss me off, it's usually because. Well, I'm just saying, it's because they go too Fuck you, beer. They go too heavy on the bitterness of the hops. Yeah, and that's like, and to me, this one stays on the right side of that balance where it stays drinkable the entire time. And I'm really happy with this one. I have this, David, this is where I lean, I lean on you, man. Okay. There's a metallic clink in here. Oh. And it's a palette, Joe palette specific thing. I feel like there's got to be a hop that gets used. That just I has... think that you're right. I need to do some research on this. If you are listening, you've said this before and you know the the brewery term for this thing. So this is not my favorite. Would I enjoy another one of these? I totally would. Is it mm -hmm. bad? Absolutely not. But it's got something in that character that is not my favorite. Okay. What a shitty, shitty review. A word <laughs> that I can't describe. There's a there's a flavor in there. And it's metallic. Not quite, That's yeah, all I can tell you. It's, it's you've said it before. And, have, yeah. and I don't perceive it as metallic, but yeah. Well, I, I do taste the metallic, which is usually a mm. 
I do not like that. And I'm trying to think of it. I want to say I have the, a similar thing with uh, Real Ale Axis, where it, oh. it has a metallic hit as well. This, though, I, I find pleasant. It doesn't, it's not overwhelming. And I don't, what other beers do you experience that metallic? Because it's got to be a specific. Yeah, it's we're going to start or... tracking this. Okay, I just quickly Googled it. The expected cause, poor quality metal pipes in the brewery packaging or improperly, no. stored, oh, wow. or improperly stored grains can lead to a metallic flavor and mouthfeel. I'm not suggesting that this beer has that problem. Mm -hmm. I'm really not. If your beer tastes like blood, pennies, or ink, it is most likely absorbed extra <laughs> metal. Now... If the beer tastes like blood during all horror October, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> this does not taste like. No, blood. it doesn't taste. Yeah, like blood that. has it's more. Blood is a little bit more salt. Uh, I've said too much. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm disemboweling myself and take a taste, <laughs> Sean is Sean is the Max Shrek of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, I hope that you're going to stick around for after hours because the best part of beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here you can catch us everywhere facebook instagram i mentioned discord earlier search for the conversation continues beer in a movie or just ask us on any of the other aforementioned social media apps for an invite and we'll get that to you patreon's where it's at man for five dollars a month you get a bonus episode every single week this week, we're also going to be releasing that Killers of a Flower Moon bonus. I'm so sad that all horror October is over. But don't worry. If the next time a fantastic horror movie hits the theaters, we will be there to watch it. Uh, you can also catch us at beerandamoviepodcast.com, where we've got merch there, a little button. You can get yourself a T-shirt or a coffee mug or all of the fun things that you know fill your house with beer and a movie. That's what I do. Sean, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. So until next time, can we watch something happy now? <laughs>